you just turn into a monkey? <laughs> Sorry that I'm laughing. But what like, what I love you is, is every time you do that, you do it like it's the first time we've ever done it. <laughs> Can I do it again? <laughs> no. Hi, this is Simon Voisey from Mizette Cafe and welcome to the Velocino podcast. and welcome to the Velocino podcast, where the best stories have not yet been written. This week, we are joined by Simon Voicy of the Musette Cafe. Simon, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Niels, obviously, at this moment, I've had a little bit more time on my hands than I normally would do. And I was actually reading through the rules, you know, the book, The Rules for Cycling, which, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, you know, rule number five, harden the fuck up and all that kind of stuff. Rule number nine. If you're raining, one. yeah, you're, you're badass if you're riding in the rain and all that kind of stuff. And as I was going through it, the things that struck me were most of the rules are around cycling. But there's also a lot of rules around coffee etiquette and etiquette in a cafe. And it just makes you realize how closely coffee and cycling are aligned in terms of terms of the culture. So, Simon, it is great to have the proprietor of one of, quite simply, the best cycling based coffee shops in the world ever here to tell us about what an easy rider is and how simple it is to do and how you can make millions from it absolutely all of those things are true thanks thanks so much for for having me along yeah i mean yeah coffee and cycling are synonymous it's something to do with kind of italian stuff. i mean people think that coffee comes from italy it doesn't but they are big on their coffee and it's a fashionable thing over there to have good coffee and good espresso and, and people increasingly uh, around the world pick their rides based on the, the coffee stops. We kind of knew this when we were setting up and we wanted to, lots of cycle cafes are cafes that were sort of coffee shops or tea rooms or cafes that were then taken over by cyclists, but we opened with cyclists in mind, if you like. So we started on the basis that everything that we did, we did for cyclists. Obviously, we have multiple audiences and there's, there's different people that come and visit Musette, but we set up for cyclists and, and I think that's part of the reason why Musette is is the way it is. Yeah, yeah I think when you say set up for cyclists, just for, for those who don't know, Musette is on the premises of an old farm and when you come in, you, you have like a lot of bike racks out there, you have a really nice outside area on a nice decking and then when you enter the premises, you have a lot of really fantastic cycling art, cycling photography. It's really, really appealing. It looks really nice. Yeah, thanks. We decided early on, because we've been to a lot of cycle cafes, myself and the other owner, Simon Gill, before we set up, you know, as cyclists, both of us, but we, we'd seen quite a lot of stuff like, and this is this is just what we believed was the right thing to do, was to sort of be a cycle cafe that you could see it was a cafe for cyclists because of the art rather than using a pedal as a coat hook or a yes. kind of a big ring for to put your orders on. And so we, we decided we'd pull back from trying to go over the top with all the cycle paraphernalia, but just deliver that message through the art on the walls. And I think that that's kind of worked overall. Absolutely. One of the things that always struck me, because how long have you been going now? Yeah, so we opened in uh, September 2018, but we were obviously working on the building and stuff for about three months before that. Uh, we were due to open in the summer, but a neighbour objected. We had to go to court, essentially, to 
get a change of use for the building and open as a cycle cafe. I completely respect the, the neighbour's decision to object, but it, it delayed us by about three months and we missed the summer. Thankfully, in 2018, the, I don't know if you remember, but the summer ran really late into October. So we still benefited from sort of six, six seven weeks of, of really nice weather which really helped us. But we opened in September, middle of September, you know, that we sort of missed that sort of crucial three months, which we felt was going to give us a, a massive yeah, leg yeah. up in our first sort of half a year. So you guys, it, with your background, I mean, you are not necessarily, you've not owned cafes before when you started this, from what I understand. You don't, um, you know, you weren't ex-restaurateurs or had um, all these kind of things. My understanding is that your backgrounds are not coffee related at all. Is that right? No, that well to a degree, yeah. I think so. I worked, I worked in media marketing for pretty much twenty years, but I did do quite a lot of bar work, and I worked in a restaurant, a good, good restaurant, when I was uh, in Holland for two years when I was studying and working. So I did learn a little bit about it. Then my my stepdad was a publican, so he was able to sort of impart a bit of decent knowledge, you know, as we were growing up. Simon Gill also worked in the Cog, so he worked in a cycle cafe as well. But yeah, I think working behind the bar or in a restaurant as a waiter and running a, a sort of a small, you know, a limited company, a very, very different. And we'll probably, we'll probably get onto it. But yeah, it's certainly a big step up in terms of, you know, the stuff that you need to know and the stuff you need to do to, to sort of make a success of it. I mean, anyone who's worked in the hospitality industry will know how hard you have to work and it, it never goes away. You know, if you're the owner of a business, you're there six days a week practically, or certainly I am. And that that never stops. And, and you know, one of the only sort of benefits of, of what's going on at the moment is that I've actually had some time at home, you know, days in a row um, where and that just hasn't been the case for certainly since we opened, basically. So, but yeah, no, there's the there's huge amount of effort that goes into, you know, a hospitality business like, like a cycle cafe. It's not just kind of, you know, pour the odd coffee and it's all relaxed and you're there with your friends chilling out and drinking espresso. It's not quite like that. But. <laughs> Did not. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you, you always seem to just be, you know, so friendly, relaxed, feet up. Yeah. <laughs> you, I know. I know for a fact that you've both been there when it's been busy. It's, it's like that for you. You're, as, as visitors, you know, you're, yeah. you're you're arriving and you've got a nice big table and everything. And no, but you know, you can see when you when you walk in there. And the thing about Musette is that it's kind of a bit feast feast or famine, you know, with the sort of waves of cyclists that come in. I mean, we kind of, we, we kind of set up, you know, as a cycle cafe. So we were, we were expecting sort of groups of cyclists and I don't think people, you know, groups shouldn't really be out in more than 10 or so on the road. Um, but you do get groups of sort of 20 or 30 arriving and they're pro probably separate groups, but arriving together. So they're timed to arrive at a coffee stop together. So you can go from sort of zero to 60 very quickly. It can be, there can be no one in the cafe and then very quickly you can have 60, 60 odd people in the cafe and they're all queuing for, for coffee, you know. I've had the joy of actually working in your cafe because I, you know, working from home as it were, but sat in the cafe drinking and eating some of the lovely pizzas and the lovely other bits and bobs that you guys do. And it's always just astounded me. It can be completely quiet and this can be almost any day of the week as well. And then in a few seconds, it is absolutely stacked. And it's got to be kind of one of those unique things for a, uh, a cycling cafe, because if you think about cafes on sort of high streets, what tends to happen is people come in and they sit and they'll have one cappuccino and they'll make it last an hour and a half. Whereas for you guys, You've got to get your, your way quickly through 30 people. They'll sit, eat their piece of cake, their coffee, and then 
they're back on the bike and off they go again. And it's almost like you can see the plates spinning as they've run out the door. And it, it must is it, is it a unique problem? Do you think for for getting getting the group through? It's certainly something that we didn't we, we we didn't really know what to expect to be honest. But you're right, it's a destination rather than a. We don't benefit from passing footfall. People don't just sort of wander in. You have to make a conscious effort to to come to Musette because it's on a farm and you're either driving or you're on a bike generally. I mean, we do. We do get a lot of walkers and dog walkers from the surrounding villages and we get a lot of people from Aldbury. But at the weekends, most people are coming in cars or on bikes and we, we benefit from a lot of parking. So, um, but we had no idea that we would see so many people coming in at once. I mean, when we, when we had our opening day, we had 350 people there arriving on that day. So we had a queue which went from the counter to the, the door. And if you're familiar with the place, the, the big glass door at the back, and that just didn't shut. You know, we thought we'd be sort of talking to our families and be milling around and quaffing a bit of Prosecco. And we just rinsed like 20 large cakes. We gave away all the cakes on the first day. They all just disappeared immediately because the cyclists were all there swarming. And there were other groups of cyclists. That, I mean, there were, there were groups of 20-odd cyclists, more than one group, who, who arrived and left because it was too busy. So we, we sort of have this situation where you get multiple groups arriving at a similar time, especially on Saturdays and Sundays. And then you have to kind of work through that as quickly as possible. So there are ways to ease that that kind of traffic, if you like. And we started serving filter coffee just before we closed. So you can grab a coffee. So there was a sign up saying, you know, if you want to just grab a coffee and go, you can have a filter coffee. It costs less. You know, it's a big cup of coffee. Um, still nice coffee, but it's not from the machine, if you like. So it's not made from espresso. And uh, that was kind of starting to go down well. And that's one way of doing it. Also having sort of multiple baristas in a kind of a conveyor belt where you get one person who's pulling the coffees and putting the espresso into the various cups and then another person doing the milk. So there are ways of speeding things up. But if you think that a coffee, like a cappuccino, takes 45 seconds probably, and you've got 30 people and they all want a cappuccino or a flat white, then you know that you're going to be there for the best part of 20 minutes producing this coffee for that for that queue. I mean, there are ways to speed it up ever so slightly more, but that's, that's the nature of it. And so I think people expect to queue, <laughs> hopefully. But, you know, we send them away with cake, obviously, so they can sit there. <laughs> Everyone's, um, I tell you what, I mean, we're talking about the queue, but I have to say it's, it's great sitting there. It's it's the most brilliant experience as a as a cyclist to go in there. And even as somebody who if even if you're not cycling and you're in the cafe, you see these big groups come in, there's always a laugh and a chat and everyone has a decent break. They have great fun and then off they, they go with a smile on their faces. So it's 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 absolutely brilliant. Just to, just to go back to the beginning of you setting it up, actually, because the, the one thing I'm just thinking, so, you know, everyone, you know, I think a lot of people in the world believe in starting their own business or they feel like they've got something in them. But where were you at that moment when you thought, this is it, we're doing it? Where, where were you sat? What were you doing? It was kind of a, a bit cumulative. Sorry to put a <laughs> dampener oh, on. Oh, I've got... It was... I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a quite a long process. Um, at that time, I was trying to set up another business, which was a skincare business for cyclists. So my, my wife works in skincare, and we were looking at sort of different, at sort of anti-pollution type qualities to skincare. We even got to the point where we were down to formulas. We'd created formulas for the skincare, and I needed some photography <laughs> to put on the sort of the deck to, to go to investors for a raise. And so I knew that Simon was a photographer and exactly the same time he was coming to me and asking me, look, you know, I've got an idea for a cycle cafe. Is this something you might want to get involved in, you know, given your background in marketing and stuff? So we were sort of at that exact moment. We were both sort of asking each other for something. So Simon said, look, why don't you see if you'd like this idea and, and we can take it from there. So we, we originally had an idea to build a much larger building on the farm 
where the trotting ring is, which was going to be a Pilates studio. We, we put a deck together and the, the sort of funding was there or thereabouts for a, a bigger building uh, with offices built into it where Ashmay were going to be. And then as time wore on, they realized, uh, the farm realized that they might need the trotting ring for something else because I think the farm will be developed over time. That was kind of put to one side. But then we had a very good relationship with Ashmay, me, because I helped start um, Berkhamstead Cycling Club. And I was trying to introduce Ashmay into Berkhamstead Cycling Club as a kit provider. And I've been talking to Stuart Brooke, who's the um, uh, founder of Ashmay, for quite a while. And Simon knew those guys as well because Simon's father-in-law owns the farm where Musette finds its happy home so there's kind of a lot of links you know and yeah. so we were talking to Stuart and Stuart suggested that you know perhaps you could, we could use part of the building where Ashmay's offices were so you know Musette was formerly Ashmay's sort of offices and stores and we started sort of talking about that and then uh, we decided we'd sublet just the main space they would stay in the what we call now refer to as the snug but it's a side room uh, in the building and so we were there with Ashmay but yeah, so it was, it wasn't like it didn't just kind of happen at one time, but we've been talking about it for, for a long time, trying to work through potential cost sheets and plans and things. And then, you know, I think we were actually at Simon's house. He was living in Tring and we were in his kitchen and we kind of, you know, decided at that point, I think there was a moment when we kind of just said, this is, this is definitely, this is definitely feasible. You know, we could do this. And I was sort of, I, I wanted to sort of make a change from what I was doing in London and the commute that was really dragging. And I just felt like I'd come to the end of my useful life working for other people. And I was kind of, you know, worked in a lot of startups and that was quite, you know, it requires a lot of energy um, to be involved in a startup. I thought, why am I doing this for other people when I can kind of try and do it for myself? So, so yeah, that's kind of how it, how it sort of started. And out of interest, the location, because that's the thing that really astounds me. I mean, when you look at, um, I'm pretty sure most business plans or advice for how you start a cafe, it's all about footfall, you know, be in a place that's got, you know, a large number of working places nearby where people will pass and all the rest of it. Uh, or be on, be on a, a high street where people will see you as they drive past and want to stop. And you are in the tiny village of Aldbury, which I think has got around about like a thousand people in it and even you're not on the high street you're like kind of on the back of a farm in the middle of nowhere and yet your place is packed with cyclists and with walkers and i just wondered is that like a was that a moment of genius that you you did realize that this is the fixed spot or has it been a uh, been luck or, or how is it because I just, you know, it's defying all the rules of where a cafe should be and, and be as successful as it is. I mean, there was a little bit of thinking around that, mainly around the fact that we knew that as cyclists ourselves in the area, we know that there's a lot of cyclists around, you know. But you can actually look at uh, the British Cycling website and you can see how many registered club members there are within a sort of 10, 15, 20 mile radius, for instance. And then when you start to look at Strava heat maps, um, and build up a picture of, you know, how many sorts of hundreds of cyclists or even thousands of cyclists will pass by the farm uh, over a given weekend. Uh, and so, you know, you, you can build up a picture very quickly. I mean, you know, Tom's Hill is featured in the Tour of Britain. We're on the Chilton Cycleway. Um, we've got the Ridgeway, which is a, a really famous walking route. You've got clubs, you know, a dozen clubs within sort of, say, 10 miles. And they're all sort of really big clubs as well. Uh, 10, 15 miles, you know, and so we knew there was a decent amount of, well, wheel fall or footfall, if you like, um, along alongside the farm. 
Um, but not just that, you know, cyclists, you know, the, the issue with sort of cafe stops very often, certainly the ones in high streets, bikes just clog up the, the town, don't they? People don't really respond well to lots of bikes. I mean, certainly from my time at Berkhamstead Cycling Club, if you had a big ride, 50, 60 riders, where do all the bikes go? You know, we used to congregate at the King's Arms and it caused no end of problems with the people who were staying in the hotel at the back. Having space and having that sort of, you know, and, and having space in the cafe itself versus other cafes where it was sort of slightly, slightly more cramped on the high street, given the, the you know, the rates that you pay for those kind of properties. You know, so if you combine the sort of the size of the building with the space around it, you know, safe for sort of bikes to, you know, congregate and can sort of chill out in the car park and, and on the decking. So it was, it was really about just creating the reputation and, and sort of getting people to sort of understand it was there. And, and even now, you know, we're, we're limited in terms of the amount of advertising we can do around the farm. But even now, um, we, we get people saying, oh, I didn't realize you were here, you know, and we work quite hard on social media, uh, but we're not really allowed to have too much in the way of sort of advertising on the road so we do sort of rely on word of mouth and and, and the uh, that sort of passing on of sort of destination via clubmen and stuff um via cycling clubs so you started up you were i'm going to pretend it was that moment in the kitchen when you looked into each other's eyes and said yes let's go and do it but it probably wasn't quite like that but the once you've started what were the kind of what was it that came up that surprised you in the first sort of few months what was it that really struck you well we never thought that was going to happen or that happened much better than we thought it was i think carrying on continuing on from the point before around sort of footfall we we kind of knew that it wasn't just going to be cyclists we knew there were going to be other audiences but we had no idea how important they were going to be I identified with my marketing hat and I sort of identified kind of six, six six audiences that we would be talking to but there are four villages within you know a mile or a little bit more from Musette and they're all sort of walking distance for dog walkers trail runners uh, and families and and what what's really made a big difference to us is the families there's not much around our area so in Albury, there's a couple of pubs, there's a golf club, you know, there's, there's places for people to go, but there's not really places to take to go as a family. And, and you know, when families come, they come with kids, dogs, there's sisters, brothers, aunties, uncles. And, and, you know, you can have sort of six or eight people come in. They'll all have hot drink and some cake or whatever. And that is actually a, re- a really sort of valuable audience for us. So we realized very quickly after we opened that, especially in the, the colder months, the colder, wetter months, we would need this audience to sort of keep us alive while the cycling was sort of taking a dip. So the, the runners, the young mums, mums with kids, because again, going back to the size of the building, getting six or eight grams into a, uh, a cafe on the high street is pretty much impossible. So NCT groups come and meet at Musette during the week and, you know, there's loads of space for them and they don't have to worry. It's, you know, it's airy and there's pl- plenty of places you can sort of stow a buggy in the corner with a sleeping baby or whatever. And so all that stuff works really well for us. So we, we had no idea that, that or those audiences were going to be so important but we you know you have to kind of change you have to pivot very quickly if you realize that you know we're not going to be supported solely by cyclists so we we did that and that was part of the reason why we opened the kitchen as well i mean our original vision was to be the, the destination for cyclists in the chilterns and um we want to be that and we feel like we we, we have become that very much but that's not enough um <laughs> to be honest i mean there aren't the, the simple aren't the, the volume of cyclists during the week to sort of maintain a, a building and a, and a business of our size so you know those other audiences have been incredibly important it is absolutely lovely 
if I've been working there in the week, uh, it's the most lovely, eclectic mix of people that you can sometimes see in there. In winter, I think the most common thing is mud and waterproof clothing. There seems to be a lot of technical clothing going on, but it's lovely, particularly when you've got the sort of like the young kids all sat around on your sort of sofa area that are all chilling out. You've got a whole load of runners in one corner that are dripping wet, and you guys are so happy to have all your furniture and the floor is all designed so you can quite happily sit there and soak the floor and whatever it doesn't matter particularly in winter you get one lone cyclist that will come in in his tights and all the rest of it or her tights and you know covered up and comes in and gets a very almost quiet high five off whoever's <laughs> serving the coffee and then they, they sit down as well so it, it is a lovely mix and sort of feeling that you get in the cafe it's always a great welcome oh, but, um, good to hear i mean i should just say on that we've we've got a couple of guys they are roadies and they are mountain bikers it's um david and dolan they're they're local to us in the village and they um they come in rain or shine i mean probably a couple of times a week but when they come in when they come in uh, and it's been particularly grisly outside they now undress at the door uh they bring their own bring their own bin bags uh, they undress at the door so and but a couple of times they've not been they you know they've had to take off their their shorts and everything so they've just been sat in their pants eating cake, <laughs> eating cake and drinking coffee i mean they are probably some of our best customers and, and uh we're very very fond of them you know that is that that that's some some of my favorite moments when they're kind of just you know i just look over and i can see one of them leaning on the other while they're trying to take their trousers off and their socks and stuff. It's also <laughs> you could just imagine if one of the new customers is turning up and watching this at the doorway thinking, wow, I didn't know if there was a dress code. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of raised eyebrows. Normally not that much, actually, to be honest. People are kind of like, oh, right, it's David and Dolan again. <laughs> so good what you mentioned earlier when when you had your opening day and they were like how many people 300 there was 350 people we think because we worked out how much coffee and cake and yeah. everything else we'd sold um including soft drinks and everything else and yeah there was and i think a lot more people left as well because they just didn't want to bother with the queue at that time you know we had rollerpalooza outside you know phil liggett came to commentate on the rollerpalooza for us and stuff like that you know just as a bit of fun It went better than we could have hoped, actually. It was a really good day, and we were just kind of a bit shell-shocked. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But this just highlights, actually, that I always like talk with Mike about this in other podcasts as well, that we believe that the Chilterns are like one of the best cycling destinations in, in the UK, maybe even the, the best cycling destination in the UK. And, and you can really see that the cycling community was craving for something like like that. I think this, this really highlighted very well. What, what I found interesting as well is... You know, you've, you've got your opening hours where the, it's a normal cafe and then you put on these brilliant events. And, and how have they played into sort of expanding your audience or, you know, are they, are they a great thing to do for the cafe or are they kind of uh, got a bit of a millstone around your neck or how does it work? Because it's uh, they're great. To, the really good quality events you've been putting on. Yeah, thank you. It's quite a bit of effort, but it's it's really, really good for us as, as a business. I mean, it establishes us as a bit of a venue rather than a, just a cafe due to our planning consents we're limited in terms of the amount of events that we can put on in the evening so we have to kind of be a little bit picky and thankfully simon, simon gill's got some some good contacts in cycling because he's a professional cycling photographer so we've, we've got some nice contacts in so we can we can kind of work those contacts and, and pull people in occasionally we've had help from um Ben Herford as well, who's part of our sponsored uh, race team amrt we started off with uh, michael broadwith 
um, who's obviously a local guy that you will know well, did the uh, Land's End to John O'Groats. Um, he's a record breaker and uh, rides for Arctic Tax. But we sold three of those events. So we sold them out, all three of them, because there was so much demand because obviously he's, he's got that local angle as well. Um, uh, so we sold three of those in three months, um, three consecutive months. And then from there, we did uh, Phil Liggett. Uh, we had Phil O'Connor, who's a, a quite a famous cycling photographer, um, Graham O'Bree. Um, we had Ned Bolting as well, and Matt Stevens and Anna Henderson most recently, which I know you guys came to, uh, which was a really, really fun evening. And then obviously all this st- stuff st- starts kicking off with the coronavirus and but we had Dean and Russell Downing booked. We had Jasmine Muller, which was a women's only um, event, you know, how to train as a woman. Uh, so very specific to women. And then we had um, Sean Kelly and Rob Hatch coming along to do an event for us during the Giro. So they're obviously the commentating partnership uh, for the Giro. And they were going to come on the rest day uh, and uh, do an event for us as well. And that was going to be really big for us. So so the events have been hugely important for us because they're they're great for revenue, but they're also great for our reputation. And we, we, we get to advertise that stuff on all the club Facebook pages. And that's something which, you know, we very we don't really like to push like Musette Cafe out to the, the club's pages. But those kind of things are really relevant. And and then when people come, they love it because of all the artwork and the space. And, you know, it lends itself very well to events in the evening. And we do quite a lot of private parties as well. So, so birthday parties and things like that. You know, we've done cycling club dinners. And so, yeah, the events thing is, is it's a huge amount of effort. But for, for the amount of time that we're there, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it can be, you know, really lucrative for us, but also in, in the PR sense, you know, so it, it's really important. I have to say, I, I really enjoyed the gin tasting night. That was that was good. Yeah, crochet crochet workshops, coffee cupping with our um, amazing uh, coffee roasters, Campbell and Simon. Coffee uh, cupping. I I saw that advertised and coffee cupping, and I must admit, I didn't I didn't know what it was, and I didn't dare Google it just in case I wasn't quite <laughs> sure what was going to come up. It sounded to me like some sort of bespoke, like niche fetish thing. We put blinds up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we, we, you know, the events are we were we were kicking on with the events as well. You know, it felt like we were getting sort of bigger names. It was gradually we were talking, you know, about bringing some other people in. I won't say who because we, we would love to be able to do it, but I don't want to disappoint. But, um, you know, so that has been a big part of the business. And, and honestly, without the events, um, we probably wouldn't be able to survive so it isn't a, a totally crucial part of the the mix and yes if you've been working all day and then you do an event all night it can be quite tiring but i mean it's well worth it and you know what i would say is that whilst this has been probably the most difficult thing i've ever done in my life working in this cafe it, it's also been the most rewarding because and especially the events a big part of that because you really do get a buzz and people absolutely love it and everyone's sort of lost count the amount of times that people have said you know oh there's such a good thing you've done great for the community, the cycling community, or whatever, and and that sort of means a lot, and it's just just enough when you're on your last legs, it just peps you up, and then you move a load of tables. <laughs> well, they are they are all fantastic. I mean, we have our little Team Vidocino cycling club here in our area, and uh, whenever you put an event up, it's almost like people are waiting for it. It's just like, oh, there's another event at Musette, let's go, and then at least five people that just want to go, and it doesn't even matter who's coming. Uh, I, you know, you guys have been fantastic supporters of ours as well you know it's, it's hugely appreciated and you've always come along, along to the events you've come along as, as customers but you've also taken the time to sort of compose proper posts about Musette and the stuff that we've done so just wanted to say you know on behalf of 
myself and everyone at Musette, thanks for, for your support as well, because you're a growing concern in the cycling world, um, you know, around here, and we really, really appreciate it. And it's been that with other, you know, with cycling clubs and individuals from certain clubs as well, and they've just loved the place, love coffee. You know, they love coming and, you know, ha- you know, spending time with their friends there. So, yeah, no, thanks very much for that anyway. Well, I mean, well look, let's put it, re- remember, though, it's, it, we're just hanging on to your coattails and we're only promoting it because it's really good. Exactly. <laughs> you make it easy to be yeah, like, yeah. you know. So you, you mentioned there about the events. It, have they been the, the, the big highs over the last sort of couple of years? Or is it, if, if there, are there a couple of moments that stand out where you either thought, do you know what, this is going to work? Or are there are moments where you just thought this is actually brilliant. Are there any sort of like highs that really stick out for you? Um, the big Sundays are amazing. You know, when you, you've got kind of, you know, six, seven people working behind the counter, everyone's flat out, everyone knows their job and it works well. Yeah, I, I think um, the, the Tring Velo Club dinner was probably one of the one of the highlights. That dinner, which was in, I think it was in November at the end of last year, kind of established us as a sort of events venue for sort of food, if you like. So we, we, we put the kitchen together in sort of May last year as part of our sort of, you know, we took over the whole building basically from Ashmay. Ashmay moved out and then we introduced a kitchen and then, you know, queue like, you know, months and months of turmoil trying to find the right people and the right menu. Um, you know, I spent almost four months in the kitchen myself because I refused to, <laughs> I refused to <laughs> uh, admit that there was, there was an issue kind of thing, but we just couldn't find the right chef basically. But we did a um, Velo, Velo Tring dinner, um, 65 seated dinner, three courses, all homemade. Matt Stevens actually came to that evening as a compare. Hilariously, didn't really get a look in because they got a guy called Paul Middleton, <laughs> whose son actually works in the cafe when he's back from uni. But he was just much, much funnier. <laughs> it was, um, so Matt was Matt was kind of um, hoping to, <laughs> hoping to do his little bits, and you know the way they were doing it, they were cutting from Paul to Matt. And Paul, because he knows everyone and he's naturally very funny, he was just slaying the jokes and slaying the riders as well. And it was it was very, very funny. And I can't remember, honestly, laughing that much. Uh, and I was working, you know. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be a punter, but people were literally rolling in the aisles. So that was, was a real highlight as well because, um, yeah, it was just great to see everyone just enjoying themselves and us, like, delivering a proper event, you know, a, a food event as well. So, yeah, it was really good for us. And your kitchen is great it was amazing to see you open most cafes you know they're kind of will we survive will we not and in a very short period of time you needed to expand so you had to expand take over the whole building for space you expanded out the back with the kitchen and it's it's a it's a brilliant well kitted out kitchen and in terms of your chef i think you've had help from closer to home haven't you in terms of the wonder chef yeah it was there so we only had the originally we only had the main cafe space and then the side room was Ashmay's office and and where the kitchen is now that was their storage essentially for all their kit but Ashmay were kind of looking to move out and downsize and move off i don't know if you know but the owner of Ashmay's just bought Rouleur so Ashmay are now moving to Rouleur's office so we didn't really want to have a kitchen and not have the the seating if you see what i mean so we wanted the side room to sort of you know so that we could justify spending money on the kitchen the investment in the cafe has been significant and i put in everything i had um but that wasn't very much and um most of the most of the rest of the investment came from simon and gill so you know i've been determined to you know make good on that investment I've been working my ass off since we opened to, to make sure that we can come good on that and this year was going to be the year when we were going to sort of 
you know, we're kind of flat, you know, we've never had to put any money into the business to uh, supplement uh, sort of pay bills or anything else. Since we opened, it's always paid its own way, which is quite incredible, really. We've never had an overdraft. We've never been in debt with the bank or anything else. Um, it's been a bit touch and go sometimes and managing the cash flow has been probably one of the most stressful things I've done. But we we felt that opening the kitchen would obviously food can generate decent money, but you have to have the right chef. You have to have the right menu. You have to have the right sort of balance for the, the place that you are. And we had a few near misses with chefs and stuff. And then eventually, I think my mum just got bored of uh, hearing the stories <laughs> through the family grapevine and just said, look, I'll come and sort your kitchen out for, for like three months. So she came at the end of last year and she was the one who sort of started up all the sort of food events in the evening. She catered the uh, the Velo Tring dinner that I talked about and ended up staying for six months nearly. And, but then since all the coronavirus stuff kicked off, she's had to, she's in a high risk category being sort of almost 70 and a, a sort of cancer survivor. So she, she, she doesn't really have much of an immune system, unfortunately. So she had, to, she's nicked off to Leamington Spa to take care of a, a lovely old couple with Alzheimer's because she's a nurse really. But, uh, but she's sort of, really helped us you know, like get some consistency and some stability in the business and she did she, she made her own sort of musette beans on toast kind of thing but so many cyclists come into the cafe and say what do you mean you don't do beans on toast we always sort of said to ourselves we don't want to be a greasy spoon we do sort of bacon and sausages and eggs and things but we just didn't want to turn into sort of a greasy spoon cafe so we thought we're not going to do beans we're not going to do like we'll try and do it one up so we do eggs benedict and things like that but she'd done this sort of really she she did this really nice sort of um i can't remember any of the names of the beans now <laughs> <laughs> do beans have names i didn't know beans. Like three types of beans yeah they're like just really nice beans anyway with like but it has um a maple syrup in it and all sorts of stuff it's really really nice yeah and she she cooked you know basically all the stuff that she did was homemade and uh really kind of helped us turn a corner for the food and we started actually making money from food which is really important so yeah i, I having sampled your mom's cookery it is absolutely delicious i can uh, i could say even if it's even if it's just something on toast, it just tastes better when she does it. I don't know how, how she does it. I don't know what that knack is, but I try and recreate something that seems quite simple at home and it gets only nowhere near it. But she's yeah. one of those hilarious, but I will have to tell her that because she'll never be able to figure out how to listen to a podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> literally last night, no word of a lie, last night I saw that she joined Instagram and there was a picture of her standing near a kitchen table with a really nice outfit on, but just a head cut off. <laughs> and I was like, Mum, join Instagram. And I put it on it because everyone, obviously everyone's got family groups now. Yes. I, I put it on WhatsApp and I said, Mum, you joined Instagram. And she said, have I? <laughs> <laughs> so she's probably just been pressing buttons in Facebook and accidentally set, set up an Instagram account. <laughs> So she she won't be just your chef. She will also be your social media specialist. Yeah, photos of uh, burgers, but only up to the just below the top bun. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just taking it off. Yeah, yeah. It's been great to see your cafe grow because the, the, obviously the kitchen made a huge impact, and you you've got that lovely decking area out the front. And I have to say that the number of people that you see walk up. They actually put their bikes down and then walk up and you can see people looking around the decking and then, you know, the fact that it's got the gripper on it and all that kind of stuff. So you don't fall over if you're in uh, cycling shoes and all these other bits and bobs. You can see people kind of, this is a classy place. This is really nice. It's almost like on a golf course when people kneel down to check the grass. 
Yeah. And they basically you know, check the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, that, that decking actually was my, my cousin put that whole thing in. And he lived in Australia for years. And so he's done loads of these. He's actually a proper, like a master carpenter. So decking and stuff is really quite simple for him. But it was all a bit on a slant. It's the biggest one he's ever done on his own. I mean, I did lay before him, but I had a lot of other stuff to do. But we thought we'd put glass in instead of um, so that people could see out and, and see in rather than sort of just sort of spindles or, you know, wooden things. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, it costs a, a little bit more. But people do love to sit out there. I mean, the only issue we've got is that we, we just don't have enough outside seating. You know, sometimes when it's hot, um, there, there's sort of 69 seats inside, I think. And, um, you know, it's empty <laughs> and everyone is outside. There's like 25 seats outside and everyone else is just standing around. <laughs> you know, and it's cool inside when it's hot because it's got big, thick stone walls. So, yeah, so we just probably need more outside seating, I guess. Yeah. Well, actually, Neil, that we should have... Um... We should have put for your decking in your back garden that you've just had done. We should have put you in contact. Yeah, Simon's cousin. Yeah, but now it's too late. It's done. Yeah. I didn't I even think of that. I was we trying could... to do it myself until I got told otherwise from the wife. <laughs> I know because I was really gutted about that because you bought yourself a table saw from the the magical aisle in yeah. in Aldi, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have all all the equipment actually, and then um, I. I removed the slabs and thought like yeah i can still do it maybe and hannah said like no you can't get your friend in so jamil came in who, who used to be a builder and he had to look and he's like mate you need a digger <laughs> <laughs> okay uh i accept defeat and i just hire someone anyways anyway but your, your diy is pretty much as good as my uh my efforts on zwift so far this week particularly as we we planned to go on a group ride didn't we we planned to go into a race we got it all set up and <laughs> i ended up in the wrong race <laughs> We, we we did a, a group call, so we're all on a call, chatting to each other in this race. And I'm pedalling as hard as I can, wondering why I can't see any of my teammates in the in the same list. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, these guys are fast. You, I, you know, I could, you know, we were chatting away, and then it took dawned on me slightly later that I was in a completely different race. I pressed on the wrong button. Also, the uh, different category. And I was in the completely the wrong category. So I was just basically. Uh, left behind by everybody else but uh, yeah I think if we stay away from DIY and Zwift we'll be alright uh, but anyway sorry I digress so um, so the cafe's grown and it's got bigger and it's really established itself in the local area and you've got great events and you've got a great load of things planned for the next sort of six months and, and, and all the rest of it and just coming up to summer which I guess is your your biggest period and now we've, we've just been hit by the coronavirus and I guess I mean it's been affecting the whole of the country but um, must have affected a bit of big impact for the cafe. Yeah I mean you can't you can never never plan for this kind of thing but I felt we were on the verge of kind of tipping into something much bigger. I mean, we have the reputation built up. Um, lots of the clubs are talking about sort of basing rides. You know, we had some corporate rides booked with a, you know, Chilton's chapter for Hot Chili. We have Run the Wild, which is a running group, and Runaway Adventures UK also do some stuff out of our place. So everything was sort of growing organically, but growing. So, yeah, it's been a massive kick in the spuds, I won't lie. And one of the sort of harder things has been sort of managing the – the staff side of things. Obviously, my mum immediately had to had to leave and go and self isolate. Yeah, obviously, we tried to stay open a little bit for the 
the week when there was kind of warnings. And then I wrote a, a protocol for how we could operate safely for staff and for customers. But the issue we have as a cafe is that we're very, very popular at weekends, especially. We just couldn't legislate for what the customers were going to do outside. Uh, and we just don't want to be part of that problem. Even if you do spacing and everything else, you know, when you get lots of people arriving at the same time we just we just didn't want to be part of that problem so we we felt it was just best to close um so there's been sort of you know a steady stream of emails out to staff telling them exactly what's going on um we're in a fortunate position in in this particular month where we've been able to clear clear the vast majority of our invoices um so we've been able to sort of pay our suppliers essentially we're expecting like most limited businesses um, to get a grant from the government and uh, we placed all our staff on furlough um, so that's leave where you get 80% of your salary even for casual workers but that was hard you know and you know I'm not the sort of person to give up and I was kind of you know delivering beans um, to people coffee beans for a few days <clears throat> because I really wanted to sort of continue to try and generate revenue for the business and pay off those last couple of invoices and there's no issues with the invoices but it's more just to, to make sure it was done you know um and um it, you know it became more and more apparent that you know well certainly on furlough you can't work for the business and generate money anyway but it became more and more apparent that that perhaps wasn't the right thing to do um but i was just determined to try and continue to sort of keep the business going so yeah, that's been tough. So we've decided, um, so I manage the social channels for, for Musette and we'll be posting stuff on behalf of local businesses. So friends and partners of, of Musette, if you like, uh, we'll be doing a nice one for, for you guys, obviously following this um, as great supporters of ours. But obviously, you know, to sort of highlight this this podcast and hopefully, you know, people can hear a bit about our story. We knew that delivering beans wasn't really possible, although we managed to knock out about 15 or 20 bags to our sort of local customers. But also um, uh, instead uh, just offering the cafe space to the villagers from Albury. So they're, they're, there's a lot of old people in Albury, a lot of elderly people in the surrounding villages. And uh, so the, the people from the village are now using the cafe space to store food and using our refrigeration and stuff. Um, also sort of volunteering there, sort of delivering prescriptions and things like that. And um, I'm also a first responder for the NHS now as well, so I'm kind of on call. I'm not on call at the moment because I've had a beer, but uh, I'm on call most of the time. So, And that's in the local area in, in Berkhamstead, so to sort of go along and help someone if they're, if they're in trouble as well, sort of take the pressure off the, uh, the NHS while they're sort of scrabbling around trying to figure out how they're going to deal with cases that are due to be coming in. So, so just trying to do stuff really... Uh, you know, to sort of help in, in the community and hope that, you know, we, we can sort of get through this and, and sort of kickstart, restart Musette and, and hopefully there'll be a bit of the summer left and we'll be able to host the clubs and, and the rides again. So I guess it's, it sounds to me like with, with the support you've got, at least for, for most of this year, although it's, it's always a risk with the business and there's always uncertainty, at least you can sort of mothball it or if, for want of a better word through until we can, we can all come out and ride our bikes and all turn up. But it also sounds like there's a little bit for all of us that when it does open, that we all need to share that and we all need to turn up and show that this is, that Musette is back and that we will all come back and we will continue to support like we always have done in the past with all the clubs and everybody else so that we can, replicate that launch day all over again with over 350 of us um <laughs> you know all turning up 
<laughs> so, but uh, that's I guess that that is the thing for us as cyclists. If you know, people have loved Musette. They love what it's provided, the commu- sense of community and the fun and everything as a venue. And it will only keep going if we all come back to it again when we're all allowed to start riding in groups too. So that will be uh, what we get to do. Yeah. Yeah, for the time being, I think we're just hoping that that people don't forget us. We'll, we'll stay in touch with everyone on social, and and hopefully we'll have some kind of um, you know reopening. I have to say, I think that the um, the way that uh, businesses and services will return will be in a, in a staggered nature. So I don't think that there will be a case where there'll just be big street parties straight away. I think you know it will be over. A, a series of months anyway but we're hoping very much that cafes uh, will be allowed to open you know service industry in the uk is 32 billion it's it's absolutely massive it dwarfs a lot of the other industries and um it's so important for the uk economy so we're hoping that sort of cafes and restaurants and stuff will be able to open and, and that uh, there will be some perhaps some uh, sort of common sense around sort of how many people you can have in the building at the same time or whatever but we're hoping that that will be within a couple of months maybe three months but uh, you never know so yeah fingers crossed well it's great to know that we've got our fingers crossed for the future if people do want to follow musette and one of the few people that aren't following you uh where can they go simon to catch up with everything musette facebook tends to be the one for cycling club so it's at musette albury um or musette albury and uh insta is at musette albury brilliant and niels if people want to get in touch with the podcast what do they need to do there are so many ways. Uh, first of all, you can send us an email if you want. Uh, if you want to complain about Mike's jokes <laughs> whatsoever, just send a, an email to podcast at velocino.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We are Velocino PTCST or on Instagram, just Velocino with a double T. <laughs> Sorry that I'm laughing. But what like what I love you is every time you do that, you do it like it's the first time we've ever done it. Can <laughs> I do it again? <laughs> Yeah, that's basically it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, by the way, also, you can um, leave us a review on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called and just, you know, like give us a couple of stars. That would be great. It definitely helps us. And oh, yeah, and tell all your friends and your mum about us. Thank you, everybody who has given us a review already. Thank you. We really do appreciate it. And Simon, thank you so much for joining us today to take us through what's happened with Musette. It's been a success story from the moment it opened until the the last few weeks. And I really hope that when it opens again fully, we show again the support from the cycling community and others to make sure that it continues to be a fabulous success and continues to grow. It's a brilliant place to go, a great sense of community and a fantastic venue. So we hope to be there back soon. In the meantime, everybody, we always say that the best stories have not yet been written. Now, wherever you are around the world, spending a little bit more time at home. So maybe we will see you virtually on the Velocino commute ride. It's 7.30 in the morning and 5.30 in the afternoon. No, Uh, that's not right. When is it? 7.45 in the morning and 5.35 in the afternoon. Indeed. That's yeah. exactly, that's exactly so, why I, like, I, I can't even press the right buttons to get on the right race in Zwift, so let alone be turning up at the right time. It explains, though, why I've been on my own for, while, for quite some time in there. 
So if you want to join us on one of our rides, just uh, follow me, uh, Niels, N-I-E-L-S, Velocino Podcast on Zwift, and I will send you an invite. Excellent. And hopefully, for wherever you are around the world, you can join us because the best stories truly have not yet been written. Swifted. 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 <laughs> or written on Swift. <laughs> okay, that's it. That'll do. That will do.